Well, yeah. let me try one, and if it's if it fucks up, we'll just carry on as though it didn't fuck up, and we'll just carry on recording. How does that sound? Yeah, go for it. Okay. Hello, welcome to Crude Mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> That's one. One more time. <laughs> Hello, welcome to Number One Crude Mistakes with myself, Glenn, from Number One Projects, and KJ from Crude But Efficient, and Havard from Behind <laughs> the Mistakes. Oh. How was that pronunciation, Havard? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know I was from France, but yeah, that's, uh, that's a first. But, uh, oh, can we get a rating from one to ten? How yeah, pleased are you? Rating. Because I've had some help from a man on the inside, another Norwegian. I would say uh, a seven, strong seven. Oh, I'm quite happy with that. So I'm not mentioning any names, but a friend of mine, homemade Marco, gave me a heads up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he's a bit biased. He's not Norwegian by by trade, I should say. Oh, is he French? No, wasn't he... German? Yeah, German. I don't know. On his Instagram, I think. I, if I uh, read the flag, like... flag, flags, fla, 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 flags, right. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like both of you, so. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, I guess. Good or bad. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> hey, I'm the odd man out here. <laughs> well, that's going to be a frequent bit on my side. It's like I'm going to pronounce something and then it's going to be like, was that right, Glenn? Just <laughs> you're going to be my spell check uh, liar. Oh yeah, you're, uh, you're asking the wrong guy. I'm from the wrong part of England for this. <laughs> well, you have been speaking English the longest of us, so. Yeah, I just don't speak it the best. <laughs> well, it's kind of hard when you when you know the word and you have the the correct pronunciation in your head, but when you open your mouth. It just comes out in the wrong order. <laughs> I've I've never heard any any problems from you guys. To be honest with you, you all you all have this um, worry that your you know your speech and the way you pronounce things isn't correct, but you do really really well. The only thing I ever notice is that you have a, a little bit more of an Americanism to your voices, but that that's about it really. Other than that, you sound perfectly normal. <laughs> <laughs> Can I get that writing? <laughs> Absolutely, I'll sign it as well. <laughs> Put it on my workshop wall. <laughs> so, KJ, where should we start? Why don't you kick us off? Me? Why? Yep. Oh. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, where Where do we start? Where? <laughs> Why do we start? <laughs> That's a good question. Why do we start uh, making? I think that's a, a fair fair point to start, I would say. Yeah, and who's handling that first? Me or Hovard? <laughs> <laughs> should, should we do the uh, making in general or making as in the maker community, making on YouTube, internet or... You're asking the question, sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the lines between those are kind of blurry. Yeah. I mean, it's the making of, of various kind has been the baseline for as long as I can remember. But 
stumbling over the maker community and mostly through YouTube and Instagram, it kind of came as an epiphany, just realizing, oh, there are other weirdos out there just having weird ideas and then, ooh, I should go in my garage and make that. That's <laughs> uh, kind of nice. Yeah. I mean, finding finding the maker community for me probably, you know, started as it does with all of us through YouTube. And then, you, as, as Harvard says, you, um, <laughs> you, you know, you get to realize that there are other weirdos out there. And then listening to um, other podcasts, for me particularly, the uh, Three Northern Makers, listening to that podcast and them having the Discord made me feel start feeling like part of an actual community. And then um, going through to Maker Central and meeting a few of these weirdos for real, which, you know, was just fantastic. And it does make you feel welcome and know that you can message these guys and feel part of something where everybody's so friendly and welcoming. So, so how have you both felt like weirdos in realizing that you were makers uh, or you were something that everyone else wasn't not not a weirdo so much in my instance just the only one out of everybody i know <laughs> yeah because i had this my thoughts growing up was that this was nothing special i mean i grew up on a farm so we did everything we could do we did Ourself, because that was kind of the game. If I don't have to buy something, if I can make it myself, then I won. Uh, so I, I just assumed that everyone likes to make stuff and go out in a shed and and carve a stick and all of that sort of thing. But then, as I grew older, uh, I, I somewhat realized that no, everyone else doesn't want to do this. It was, I think the the finals the final straw was when I when we got this house and you have guests over and you go on tour and show them oh this is the kitchen this is the living room and then I thought, oh and now the piece de resistance the workshop in the basement <laughs> no why would we want to go down in the basement and my wife said why do you drag them down in the basement but that's the best part. <laughs> And I mean, no one was really interested. (laughs) And then I realized, is there something wrong with me? Uh, But then I found the maker community. And as you said, found other weirdos all around the internet. (laughs) And and that felt like coming home. I think to me, it was a two-stage rocket. Um, My father was a radio electrical engineer, uh, just building stuff in the basement. So we had a lot of components and everything and then he started a computer shop so we also had an abundance in parts and things that you could mash together and make things of and you had the same mindset that if you have an idea just follow up on it just see where it takes you so I guess I just got that in from very early age and then I went off to college and then I had the first time where I got just paired together with the same kind of weirdos because we all applied to that same school studying industrial design and so on. So then you had the same people with the same mindset, having nothing to do but having beers in the evening and thinking of weird stuff we should do. And that was a great time. And then, of course, when we all graduated, we moved to different cities and then we got jobs. 
and then you had that feeling of like now you should do the the regular life you should just go to work and then you should go home and sleep and eat and then go to work again and then i realized that the people i was working with now they didn't have workshops in their cellar but i thought everybody had that and were doing and making stuff and fixing things on their own and then i realized most people don't and they're not even interested when we bought our house and i just realized oh there's a garage here that's it's too small for a modern car but it's too big to be like just a shed or something so I just got the go-ahead from my wife. Do whatever you want. So the first half year after we moved in, I just established a workshop. And from there on in, it's like, that's my place where I go to. And then, of course, stumbling over the maker community, I realized there are other people sitting in their garage with toys, <laughs> basically. So, yeah. So it's been a journey. And, of course, like every realization you do late in life that, of course, I should have done everything much earlier but you can't <laughs> think, you can't think that way because the person you are today is like molded by all the crossroads you have passed through on your way to getting there so yeah. i'm not complaining but yeah. yeah but but still i mean that was over 10 years that i didn't know that people were posting maker stuff on youtube i thought youtube was just music videos and uh, makeup tutorials and comedy bits. <laughs> if I only knew known but, that, but those well, makeup tutorials have proved really useful in the past. I've got to say. <laughs> <laughs> also, that's why you look so good. That's right. Yes, <laughs> this is not a real tan. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, after having children, and then of course girls, uh, my search history has changed a bit on YouTube. <laughs> uh, that's why you create separate accounts for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe I should launch a second uh, hair braiding account for <laughs> for girl dads. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me on the um on the making front and the starting making, I mean, you know, the only making I did as a child really was with Lego. And then as an adult buying my first house and whatnot, just it was just grown up making. But it's the same thing, it's still making in my in my book. So, you know, doing houses up, you know, getting them livable, selling them, moving on to the next best house. And then later on in my career, doing all the woodwork and soft landscaping for a landscaping company and, you know, things like that. And then last year I decided to build my workshop because I wanted somewhere to play in the winter because all of my pursuits were outside. And towards the end of the uh, build, I thought, oh, do you know what? It'd be really good to start sharing these things. Because I'm always dragging my neighbours in when I've made something and say, come and look at this, look what I've done. <laughs> but let's start, let's start sharing this and get a YouTube channel going and, uh, you know, and get start on Instagram. And, you know, it's just been a blast. Yeah, I mean, is internet that... is basically just a big fridge where all the kids put their drawings and say, look what I've made, look that's what I've made. Right. <laughs> yeah, but that, when... that's an interesting question to follow up with. What make you just decide all right, I should put this on YouTube. Like I, people I, will probably want to see this. I mean, what, no, what I process? Think, I didn't think anybody would want to see this. And that's where the problem starts when a few people do actually start watching your videos 
and you get that one video which does do well in my book and that that's like that starts adding extra pressure it's like oh what do i do now do i do i carry on making the same thing do i just carry on making what i want uh, it's it is a really tricky question on where to go next with it yeah, and that makes it gonna... even sorry that, carry on that makes it even more interesting because like myself i didn't think that oh this is something that people probably would like to watch but still i took that decision at some point that all right now i'm going to go down in my workshop and i'm going to make a project but i'm also going to do a parallel job which is adding to the workload times yeah manifolds to also film this to edit it and put it out on youtube that's uh <laughs> all for free all almost, for free almost in your case definitely for free in mine and kj's case <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean it was that uh, finding the the right community with people that did stuff that i felt i could do this i could also contribute to this to this community not in a way that i thought people would like to see what i've done but because it would be fun to do it because I, I've always liked video editing and having a make a community where you can post stuff for people to to look at if they want to. That's that's just another another this. It's enough reason to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I've never I've never set out to be the best on YouTube. I just try not to be the worst. <laughs> it's it seems horrible to be, to be in the top tier. You have to think about uh, subscribers and views and all of that. Having yeah. YouTube as a full-time job sounds yeah. horrible. I don't Perhaps know. part-time would be would be acceptable. I but... wouldn't mind Colin Furs's playground. That looks like fun. But Jesus, that man has done <laughs> some serious work to get there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> no, yeah, he's I mean... earned every penny of it. <laughs> yeah. And I think many makers that's venturing into YouTube kind of early on realizes that there is a threshold because it is something you do on your spare time and you just have so much spare time before you have to go to bed and then you have a work. And for the vast majority of people doing YouTube, that's it's not uh, sustainable in itself. So you have to have a work and you have a life outside the workshop as well that sustains this hobby. So, yeah. of course, I, I've seen many, I've talked to many people that have this dream that they don't want to blow up, but it would be nice to pass a threshold where you can actually have this as a full-time job, not having to have a second job to support yeah. it. But as everyone knows that, usually takes years of hard work to get there yeah. and it takes just as much work to keep you there and i don't remember who said it but you're also at the mercy of the companies owning the platform yeah so you yeah. might have a job today doing what you like and then they change some preferences or yeah. the, the people move to another platform and then you suddenly have lost 
your revenue stream yeah. and then what you do then and i mean having that hanging over your head all the time is probably going to take a toll on your mental state at some point yeah and i mean making in youtube and all of this this is my this is my fun time this is my keeping my sanity <laughs> i wouldn't <laughs> want to mix in and have to worry about paying my mortgage with with this then i would have <laughs> to find another outlet and no offense kj but watching your videos it looks like it's the place where you let go of your sanity <laughs> so... <laughs> Well, a, a bit of both, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I liken um, the whole YouTube progression thing to swimming badges. So I think you you get you released your first video, and I think it's like getting your five meter swimming badge. And I think if you get to the monetization stage, that's your twenty five meter swimming badge. And I'd quite like to get to that. I'd quite like my next badge, and then I'll take it from there. Yeah, I wouldn't mind it. Um, this reminds me, just talking about it, that when I started, when I found the Maker community and, and started all of this, I was really hesitant on starting a YouTube channel. I actually just posted all my videos on Instagram for the first six months or something like that because I did not want to be one of those oh, hey, here's my new YouTube channel and then just post three videos and then die. Yeah. Because that it it felt so sad. <laughs> a little yeah. a little piece of me died <laughs> with every every make a YouTube channel that that died. So I, I, I didn't want to add to that. So I, I, I kept off YouTube as long as I could, more or less. And then I it just felt right to uh to switch over. I uh, I've I, done... I, Sorry. I keep telling myself that that's the reason why my first 10 videos or something like that have really low numbers because I just batch uploaded them when I started the <laughs> channel. It's not that they're, they're really crap and, <laughs> and early <laughs> attempts of trying to learn how to do this. <laughs> it's a big learning curve with the editing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that was massive for me. I mean, I, I turned a computer on for the first time since school last year and then got my daughter to show me the basics on editing. And take it from there but you know I've, I've grown to love it i have i mean i don't fully understand what i'm doing most of the time but i still love it and that's the important part absolutely I've, I've, i think i've grown to love the editing more than i have the making actually now <laughs> well then uh i'm not there i hate editing <laughs> but i had a realization because i had one software which i've used for many years which I bought many years ago when we made a music video at my previous work. And <laughs> I've used that for years and it worked okay. Uh, but then I think they updated the software to a level where it didn't function on my computer. So I was forced to try to look for other things. And then I found DaVinci and that was like night and day. And the previous one, which was Sony Vegas, it, it's a professional company, professional software. So I thought yeah. this is probably along the industry standard. So I thought everyone else at that level was at the same buildup, but that's not true at all. So when I changed, 
I actually find some joy in editing. I'm not going to say I love it, but I found <laughs> some joy and some functionalities has actually saved me hours on editing yeah. on that software alone. Right. So it's worth just chopping around and trying several ones. Yeah. And of course, I did that error that I got my company to buy that license for me that time. So <laughs> it's, I had that and that tied me up to that for so many years. Yeah. So what do you use, KJM? Do you like editing? Uh, I I do like editing. Uh, and I use, uh, what's it called? Uh, Muvavi. Okay. Muvavi video editor. Uh, I was searching around uh, on the internet because I did not feel like paying for uh, Premiere Pro, uh, which I had some experience of using in a not strictly legal sense uh, when I was at uni. Uh, So I just, something that I could buy for just for for cheap basically i yeah. think it costs about <laughs> it was one of those programs where you uh, installed it and oh this is the free version you can buy this for for 50 quid okay no i i i'll uninstall it oh <laughs> if you if you try now by now you get 50 percent off <laughs> when you <laughs> uninstall it so then i I, I installed it once more and then had to uninstall it just to get that uh, discount <laughs> link. Uh, but then I, I looked at DaVinci as well. I have done downloaded it, but it, it seems to be so have so much to be such a steep learning curve that I just right. I haven't taken that step yet. I really should, but. I was going to comment that uh, when you have a steep learning curve like this, there is something called uh, YouTube, which is kind of nifty. You can just go in there and then you just write down, how do I do this in DaVinci? And then you get a very fairly easy recipe. Oh, I don't know about that. I was looking, I was watching YouTube videos on Audacity yesterday <laughs> and I'm still none the wiser. <laughs> going back to what we used to edit on, I use um, CapCut. And I, f- I find that quite easy to use. It seems to have plenty of features and it's free. You know, that's the main thing. <laughs> so I, I quite enjoy using that at the moment. Yeah. The, the the thing that's keeping me back from actually uh, jumping, um, uh, jumping into the deep end of the pool and, and start using DaVinci is just having time to to sit down and actually learn it because I have a lot of... A lot of plates spinning, so to speak, and and just to be able to to do half of the things I want to do. I mean, there's a reason why my watch later list on YouTube has, I think, 125 videos or something like that right. at the moment, <laughs> uh, because there's just a not not enough hours in the day. I, I realized the same, and I think that's also the way I make any project. Uh, it's to learn something new. And I don't do that by reading up and watching videos. I just I start doing, and then I figure it out as I go. And of course, that's going to take longer time, and you're going to make mistakes and so on. But yeah. that's still, I, as long as I enjoy the process, it's okay. In my it's mind. definitely more enjoyable learning by burning. 
that's that's the that's the process I go through. I, I try not to do any uh, research on the project first. Just go for it and film it and see how it turns out. And, and, and I've only had one problem, major failure up to yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's the that's the problem of just learning by doing. Of course, I like grabbing hold of a person who are really good at it and just can I lend you for 15 minutes and then I can just fire off a lot of questions. How do I do this? How do I do this? And that person can show me. That's when I learned the most because yeah. I can have someone answer my questions and once I have figured it out, then move to the next thing. But um, as it turns out, I don't know anyone that do video <laughs> editing, uh, let alone as a maker doing YouTube. So I don't have anyone to ask and back to what you said, KJ, I haven't still said to anyone out loud that I am on a YouTuber on my spare time. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, it sits so back in my head to try to get that out and say it out loud because it still sounds weird to me. Although I spend a lot of hours and have put out hours of video content by this but still i changed the job last year and nobody at my new job knows that i post videos on youtube and i have never used my last name in any of my social media accounts so i don't pop up in searches on linkedin and so on anyway so nobody knows but someday someone will just stumble over a video and isn't that the guy down at first floor and then of course <laughs> Cat's going to be out of the basket. <laughs> I'm in this thing where I like to force myself into situations. And if I find if I say things out loudly, then I have to do them. And I announced I was going to start a YouTube channel while we were having a house party. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're the odd man out. I, I mean, I, I, I haven't told anyone outside uh, of my house, so to say. Right. And, and I mean, some, some of my real life friends have found me through they they following my my wife's instagram account and then finding me through her right. and my my mother-in-law find found out my <laughs> on my youtube channel the same way and but i i mean i do zero uh, promotion in real life you need to tell your family and your friends i mean they make up half of my subscribers and followers <laughs> Yeah, but but still, it feels. I'm, I'm, it's I'm my so mum's weird. my biggest fan. <laughs> well, in that in that regard, I'm kind of glad that my my mom is 83 and will not be able. I mean, she can't use a computer or a phone or anything. Right. So, <laughs> my my mum was on Instagram before me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, but it is, it is as you say said, Havard, that. That talking about it at work, it it seems really weird. I mean, I, I when people ask me what I like to do, I I, I do say that. Well, I, I like making, in so many words. I mean, I do some woodworking and some metal work and that kind of thing. But I don't mention that I actually film it and and put it online as well and have have a little community around with people. I trade messages with people in Australia and. Yeah. in England and everywhere. It's probably a little bit different for you two. You, you, you both got more professional jobs than me. 
<laughs> I, I don't think professional job seems like the wrong thing to say. I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I am a trained professional, but, you know, I work on my own. I'm self-employed. You know, I just play in people's gardens and have fun <laughs> and get a good suntan, and that's about it, really. You know, I can't really tell you how much I envied you when you told me that because <laughs> I've always been... I remember my my parents, they started up a company and they worked for many years. And I remember the transition very well because I was around 12 years old and then they started working in a joint company. Yeah. And my father and mother hadn't really time to drive me around to activities anymore. And my father came home, had dinner, slept for an hour on the couch, and then he went out to work again until late in the night. And then I realized after some year that I, I swore to myself, I'm never going to be self-employed because I don't want to go through that and I don't want to let my kids go through that. But then there's an intersection there because I'm not built to sit in a cubicle no. and I'm a, like a pressure cooker of ideas. So I need to have an outlet for the creativity. Yeah. So then I yearn for that position where you can control your own day be your yeah. own boss yeah, yeah. but that threshold because my previous experiences is so deeply rooted in me that taking that step to like all right i just need to go on my own that's really hard and i i still haven't even gotten close to that edge right. for jumping into something like that but i really envy people that has that kind of freedom yeah, well up until a couple of weeks ago I'd actually managed to get my working week down to four days as well, which was absolutely perfect. <laughs> but it's just it's just gone back up again because I'm I'm just the boy that can't say no at the end of the day. That's the problem. I mean that that's the 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 tough part is to actually say no to work. Yeah, that is so so hard. I mean, when I when I first started, I was doing six and a half day weeks and doing ten hours a day, and that was a little bit much. But you know, that's when we had a baby and the wife wasn't working and. That sounds a bit much. I mean, I, I have a, a similar experience as Harvard in that, as I said, I grew up on a farm. And I mean, then your, my parents were basically self-employed, taking care of animals and had, I mean, our, our income for the year was very dependent on the weather. So that's, I mean, we, we, we never went away on a vacation other than over the day because, I mean, the cows needed milking both <laughs> morning and evening. Uh, so I, I, I swore on a similar thing that I, I do not want a job that's reliant on the weather and I don't want to be self-employed and not, not have full control, so to speak. Yeah. So, so uh, uh, a cushy office job seemed really nice to me. And then me working as a consultant as well, I, I can choose a lot of my own hours and do i mean i do what needs to be done and i decide myself what needs to be done be done within uh, specific uh, parameters but but then just sitting behind a computer all day you get really itchy in the fingers <laughs> doing something out in the real real world yeah. not just drawing stuff on, on a computer and writing emails so that's i mean that's probably why i'm so drawn to the workshop 
actually yeah. to handle some real tools and <laughs> doing something that actually exists in the real world. I find myself um, at work because I've been doing my job in one form or one form or another for the last 32 years. So I know it's inside out and I, I really don't need to think about what I'm doing when I'm at work. So I find that's when all the ideas come to me. And I think that's probably good for anybody who's ever struggling with any creativity is go out in the garden, go fishing, you know, where you're forced to do something for several hours and it just opens up your mind and things flood in. <laughs> but then I'm still trapped at work like you guys at the end of the day. I can't action <laughs> them straight away. <laughs> It's just my I, office I have the same. space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, much better on nice days, but so, of course when it's raining and yeah. snowing sideways, it's not it's nice to have an inside office. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, my my knees like the a, same... an office one day. <laughs> yeah, that's also something. The knees and the hips and every joint basically well that's that's been going steadily downhill since i turned 25 um yeah but yeah i have the same and i envy people that i don't know if they have that capability but it looks like it that they can go to work and do their work and then when they get home they can switch over yeah because i can sit in a meeting at job and i always have like a pen and paper in my hand because I can't think without holding something. And then a pen is very nice because I'm always sketching and drawing and making notes. And then I can sit in a a big important meeting for someone and then I just drift off and then, oh, that'd be a nice idea for a bottle <laughs> rocket. And then I just start drawing and then I have to, <laughs> oh, I need to attend the meeting again. Let's face myself in mentally. And I have the same when I go home I can sit in the workshop and working and as long as I'm doing something physical, then I may manage to turn my brain off from thinking about things I should have done work-wise. So it would be nice to maybe do that cutoff, but I don't have that. I'm thinking about everything all the time. My brain is like an engine just revving up there thinking. So it's uh, it's interfering with work and work is interfering with uh, <laughs> well, the fun stuff. And that's just the way it is. So <laughs> you ever had any uh, YouTube ideas that keeps you awake at night? <laughs> it's happened to me several times. I have, uh, it's a, maybe a year ago, I, I made a list. I'm not sure where it is right now, but I, I just add projects when I have ideas. So I have a backlog of projects that I can do. But as we talked about yesterday, I was sitting in a meeting at work, most probably, and I was thinking about a great idea for a Halloween costume. And then I just realized, ooh, I need to order some parts now <laughs> to get them here in time for me to being able to build it before Halloween. And then that's, of course, the drawback of doing YouTube because you have that layer on top of it because I could just build the project, but I also, but I can't post that video after Halloween, so it needs to be finished then, and I have to add in <laughs> editing, and then, of course, life also gets in between yeah. there. So There's, there's always another Halloween for. next year, you know, you're okay. <laughs> yeah, that's true, but that, then again, I'm not... I'm not stacking up projects for like <laughs> next Christmas. That that would be nice if I had the capacity, but 
Yeah. <laughs> the the next year they won't have the passion. <laughs> I had the idea last, <laughs> last December to do a Christmas project, and I did this uh, just this little house carved out of some beach, and I was carving yeah. this little thing, and then I did some pyrography on it. <laughs> just went in the bin that one. <laughs> yeah. I actually had. I think it's two years now. I just resurrected uh, like a concept me and my father had for many years that we built gingerbread houses out of solid rocket fuel. And I made a video of that. (laughs) (laughs) And it was one of the first videos I did. So I didn't have the equipment. And of course, uh, I'm living in a densely populated area now as opposed to earlier. So I had to do the lighting at nighttime in a shady area, just not to draw attention to myself. And then, ooh, this would be like a nice tradition every Christmas to put out a new video. And of course, uh, last Christmas came and stuff happened and I couldn't film anything and it just slipped away. So of course, there's always next Christmas, but like planning that ahead is also difficult. I don't think we can just you know, glance over the fact that you said solid, solid rocket fuel. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was the key word in that. Yeah. I mean, I didn't hear anything after that. <laughs> so, uh, is that weed killer based products or? I uh, know it's actually. Uh, you probably didn't all say it, the problem, it's, all the it's ingredients. For, it's, no, it's basically it's the same as they use in sugar rockets, and the one you can buy commercially for those who are doing RC rockets is oh, basically okay. a sugar and a, a nitrate mix. Yeah, and I have vast amounts of that stuff because, <laughs> <laughs> and that that's also because and now we're on a terror list. <laughs> That's a nice thing. It's it's so old that it predates any lists because my dad got it like from a fertilizing company that provides this in its purest form. And I just inherited that bag and it's in my <laughs> workshop in a fire safe box and so on. And of course, there has been some incidents worldwide that has made this substances harder to get by. But I, I think I have enough for the rest of my lifetime. So um. it's, it's banned in this country now. We used to play with it when I was at college and make similar things. And uh, rockets yeah. and flare paper and all sorts. But unfortunately, it's gone now. And I haven't got, on, I haven't got an endless supply. <laughs> well, I, I could ship you. But I mean, trying to send something like that in the mail, that will for sure put you on the many lists. <laughs> yeah, it's not something to take on the plane either. <laughs> Uh, no, <laughs> I, I haven't read everything in a fine print, but I'm pretty sure that rocket fuel is on that list somewhere. Yeah, probably. Rocket fuel's already on the plane, surely. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that depends yeah. on where the plane is going, I think. You don't want to go that high. <laughs> so I've made... Um... I've made catapults and gun stocks on my uh, channel, and KJ's made axes. Have you made any weapons, Havard? Well, define weapons. Uh, I have actually found myself. I don't myself... think you can throw a helicopter at somebody and class it as a weapon. Well, it's a it's an instrument no. of terror, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Very much so on the top of the list. Yeah, like the bagpipes. No, I have. I th- I think a lot of my projects could be by someone categorized as weapons and i have actually named a few of the videos 
intentionally to avoid getting flagged because I made that uh, Gatling snow cannon. Um, ah, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Putting Gatling ga- gun in the headlines will... Uh, they won't <laughs> yeah. show your video to everyone. And um, yeah, the bug sapper as well is a reverse potato cannon. But they I mean, there's a lot really of potato cannons projects. videos out there. <laughs> How did you figure out the mechanism for the Gatling gun? I mean, that must have taken a lot of thinking about Although you've got a design well, background, uh, haven't you? Well, the, the easy answer is YouTube, but I, I've i always admired the Gatling gun. That's mainly yeah. because the functionality, the mechanism of it, because I did not know how it worked. Yeah. But then I saw, uh, I was searching for something else, and that's often how it happens. I was looking for something, and then somebody had 3D printed a Geneva drive which is a way for the clock mechanism to make the hands move in steps. Uh, okay. And then I realized, ooh, I can make that, and that will make a barrel go in steps. And then I just everything just <laughs> fell into place. And I think it took me two days in Fusion 360 to just uh, roughly design the parts and get them made. And it worked brilliantly. Well, brilliantly. There, there are some issues, but the mechanism works fine. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is a, a cool design, the, the Gatling gun from the from the get go. I've always always been a fan of of that sort of, sort of thing. So now I, I hear my kids talking about miniguns as well and thinking they are cool. So, should I show them that scene from Predator? No, they're a bit young still. <laughs> <laughs> Or the, the one from Terminator, yeah. perhaps. I uh, just wait a couple of years until that one as well. <laughs> Me and my son went through a whole phase of uh, pimping Nerf guns, so you can double and triple the distance on a Nerf gun with a you know bit of extra battery power or opening up valves and all sorts. It was great fun, spraying mm. them different colours. That used to be our weekend hobby. That <laughs> Nerf gun is a separate subgenre on YouTube. I realised and. I always wanted at some point to do something Nerf related, but when we were talking about Gatling guns, there's been a competition going on, which I didn't know about, of how many you can fire over, is it 20 or 40 seconds or something? Oh, Jesus. And I just saw a video of someone using, I think he used between two and three years, designing a Nerf Gatling gun just to beat that record. And he's a proper engineer as well. And he set the bar so high that there's no point in even thinking about it. So I, I need to, I still want to do something nerfy, but I, I have to find my own take you, on it. Could you fire them all at once? Could you do like a battery arrangement? You know, hook it up to the compressor. I did, uh, I did actually think that uh, compressed air would be a, a way to go, but yeah. Definitely. <laughs> I, I might feel a challenge coming on in the future. <laughs> <laughs> The world's biggest nerf. Yeah, that's a. There's there's a lot of possibilities, I think, within that field. But how about you? Do you. um... Here goes nothing. Yep, sorry. (laughs) You you, you, go ahead. (laughs) No, I was just playing ball back to how do you find your projects and what do you go for? I, I watch both your channels and I feel we are a lot of similar when it comes to the range of projects. It's, it varies from 
musical instruments to woodworking to tool making and so on so it's it's not a specific niche no. for any of us basically no. but how do you stumble on to your projects um i just get inspired by one particular thing fixated even and just think I, i'd really like to go at making that the, the the strumstick for instance my friend has a strumstick a mcnally strumstick which is the sort of the best you can get and um, I looked at that thing and thought I can make it better than that <laughs> having no musical experience <laughs> and um, I just I literally just started making it I didn't prototype it I watched one very old YouTube video 11 year old video on YouTube about how to make one about four months before I actually did it and then just got stuck into it and it just turned out great but i think it was yeah, there was a lot of luck in that as well and i wanted to make it slightly different so i put the wanted to put the pickup in it i couldn't see the point in making the same thing that everybody else had made so i always like to put a little twist on things as well that's where i go just get inspired by things and it can be a strumstick a wooden spoon anything really i mean the wooden spoon i built the other made the other week was just because somebody commented funny comments on some chopsticks that I'd made for my wife. <laughs> he said I'd be safer with a spoon. So I made him one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is a, the classical question that all creative people get, where you get the, your ideas from. But I mean, I I don't know where the ideas come from, but the reason why I do a project is because because I need to it's the only way to get it out of my head when I have an yeah. when I have an idea for I can do it this way or I have a it, it can be an idea for a video or an idea for a a project and that the only way to to get it out of my head is to try and do it and or either succeed or <laughs> either succeed or fail miserably yeah. because <laughs> I I mean I have a handful of half finished projects and they are they are taking up memory as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and as soon as I've finished a project and done the video to where it's good enough and publish it, then it's like, poof, it's gone from my head. <laughs> and I, oh, I feel the, the pressure release. And then something else rolls in and take that space. But that's just the ongoing problem, I guess. Do you feel the need to hold on to your projects when you've made them? Do you have an attachment mm. to them? No, no, I'm, I'm not at all. Just to give everything away that I make. <laughs> when I'm done with it, I'm done. Uh, I think I think somebody here has a, a special wall, don't they? What what's it called? The yeah, wall of, wall of fame. I call it or... the red wall. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the, the the red wall because I had red paint and I've just used that for many projects, and then that's just become the de facto color. But yeah, I have a hard time giving away or taking things apart yeah. and i i always think that uh, when i made the whiskey dispenser i had a battery holder so i used my uh, bosch batteries to operate it because that's batteries that i have but i realized that i can't get myself to take that out again to use it for other projects so Yesterday, I bought a new battery holder for an upcoming project because I don't want to take that project apart again because then it's not complete. 
Yeah. It's, it's a feeling that then I have to complete it again at some point. <laughs> but I'm, I am running, I'm not running out of space, but I mean, I could have used that wall for tools or more productive things than just hanging projects up on that wall. But I have that excuse, at least for myself, that it's a nice background for YouTube videos. So yeah. uh, I, yeah, it is. I use that as an excuse. I mean, I, I, I think I'm partly the same in that I couldn't really scavenge parts from an old project because those parts belong to that project. That they're not mine anymore. It's that thing's stuff. But I don't really feel a need to to keep it, to hold it. I mean, and I don't have the wall space to make a a, a sort of wall of fame either because. I, all I mean, it's a limited space, and all of all of my stuff are are they're tucked in somewhere. I mean, I have axes hanging on most of my walls, but you can't really find them because they're hanging behind something, and you have to know where they are. So there's not not no prominent places. But if anyone says, "Oh, oh, that's really nice," I would like that. I would give it away in a heartbeat because I don't need to have it, but I still couldn't really if if it wasn't broken i i couldn't really take it apart i think yeah, and, <laughs> and I, I feel the same way and the inherent problem with that is that not many of the projects have an aesthetic value so it's not well it, it fits in my workshop but if i start putting things up in our living room uh, <laughs> very soon be just my living room because I would be asked to move out to somewhere else but yeah you'll have to start making furniture that works for me <laughs> yeah uh, and I'm but I'm not using my projects so it's, it's very much like you say KJ that once I'm done with a project I'm done with a project so I have the like the the kazoo amplifier that's the only thing I have inside in our house because it's down here by my stereo. But I haven't played with it since I made the YouTube video. It was like, I have a concept in mind. I need to build it to get it out of my head. And then, of course, I add some skills that I haven't done before so that I also learn something new, hopefully. But once it's done, it's done. So I haven't used it. So it doesn't make a sense not to take parts from it at least from the inside, which no one can see, to use for something else. That's good economy, I guess. But then again, having something that's not working anymore because I've cannibalized it, it, it doesn't feel right. And then someday, someone might be interested in actually seeing a seller. And then I can actually flick it on and, ooh, it works. So we've just did a hit an hour, guys. Do you want to uh, wrap up? There's um, a couple of people we need to thank. Me and KJ have approached two other podcasts for a little bit of advice. Makers Waffle, Andy Pugh, and uh, the three northern makers, Steve Bell, have helped us out with some advice. Thank you very much, guys. Um, now, do you, one of you two want to wrap up? I had a thought. They say, no, I didn't have a thought. I heard it <laughs> on a podcast, so I, I thought I would steal it. That I would say uh, <laughs> a special thanks to all the future listeners who's coming back to the first episode and listening to this one. Nice to have you here, whenever you're listening. Hello. 